This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll and is part two of Learning from Elijah, God's Power for God's People. We're in the middle of a three-week series on Elijah and the power of God, God's power for God's people, and today we're going to talk about God's power against injustice. The story of Naboth, the innocent, righteous man who owned the vineyard and yet lost it due to a gross and clear instance of injustice is the story in our text for today. Gary Haugen, who is the leader of International Justice Mission, which is an organization that works with foreign governments and other countries to bring to justice, to arrest, and to stop some of those criminals who do the most heinous crimes today, things like child prostitution or slavery. That's his work. That's his mission, his organization. He says that the poor are kept poor not because of lack of resources or a lack of access to resources, which is usually what we think. Poor are poor because of lack of resources. He says, generally in, in the developing world, the poor remain poor because of violence done to them. And he goes on to tell a story about a woman in Delhi, India, who had a fruit stand. And over the years, she built up her business. She had uh, those that she got her fruit from. She had her clients, her, her faithful customers, and she was able to do all right for herself. And then along came a man who sees the fruit stand. He says, that's a nice fruit stand. That's my fruit stand. And because he has the power, he takes from this woman, and there's nothing she can do. She has no recourse. There's no authority that she can appeal to that is likely going to be able to do anything for her. And when we hear stories like that, our blood begins to boil. So it's important here at the beginning that as we're talking about injustice and justice and and what are these things, we need to define them. So injustice is any wrong done to another, any wrongdoing, but particularly when you take what is not yours to take simply because you have the power to do it. You take what is not yours because you can get away with it. That's injustice. What is justice? We also need to define justice because sometimes we get confused on exactly what justice is. Sometimes we think that justice is mercy and compassion. And that's true for the oppressed because justice brings to right the victims of injustice. But it's not always mercy and compassion. In our story today, it would not be just if Ahab received mercy. That would not be justice. Because justice, what it is actually, is black from white, right. Sorry, black from white, right from wrong. This was good. This was bad. Let's be clear about it. Justice is what is fair. All right. So those are the definitions. And sometimes we don't like that sort of black and white, it's simple, or we don't like the graphic language of the stories of the Bible. Like this morning, I'm guessing that it it, it didn't escape you that the ending of our Old Testament reading was, and dogs are going to lick up his blood. You're like, yeah, what are you going to do with that, Brett? Interesting. We'll see. I'm guessing that did not escape you. We get uncomfortable with the graphic language and nature of some of these stories, but do you want to know who doesn't mind, who doesn't care? Children. They don't care. 
they actually have this innate sense of justice that they're not bothered when the bad guy dies at the end. I mean, whenever I'm reading a story to my children and I introduce a new character, their first question is always, are they one of the goods or one of the bads? They want to know. And they want to know, are the goods going to win in the end? And are the bads going to get what's coming to them? And they don't cry. They shed no tears when the bad guy dies at the end. That's what's supposed to happen in their story, in their mind. And you know this too, because when you go to watch a movie or when you're reading a book, you're not crying when the villain comes to justice at the end. Nobody weeps at the end of Star Wars when the emperor is thrown down that lightning hole, okay? So when we kind of come to realize that, okay, if we step back from our 21st century Americans' inhibitions around language that sometimes isn't so palatable, when we step back from that, we realize, yeah, at the end of the day, Justice is actually what's fair, and that is what we want. We want justice. We want what's fair. Like the psalmist in Psalm 94. And you might think he's writing this after he hears a story about, like, the fruit stand, something like that. Somebody was just completely, without any recourse, unjustly treated. And the psalmist might say, O Lord God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay the proud for what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord. They afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner. They murder the fatherless. And they say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. And he ends the psalm saying, Can wicked rulers, like Ahab, be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by their rules? They band together against the life of the righteous, and they condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold, and the God of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. That may not sound nice to you, but we have to admit, it's fair. That's justice. Okay, so now that we're clear on the definitions, uh, it, it brings us to the question, uh, stories like the fruit stand or stories like Naboth and his vineyard bring us to the question, when injustice happens, does God see? Does God care? And what, if anything, does he do about it? It's one of the perennial questions of humanity throughout the generations. Does God see injustice? Does he care that these things are happening? And what is he going to do about it? And we learn from our story today, yes, God sees. And by the power of God, he acts. So let's go to the story, either in your Bible or the bulletin there. We open up the story, and there's jealousy. Right? And if you think of what is the uh, mother of all injustice, it's either jealousy or greed. Greed says, I want more. Jealousy says, I want yours. In this case, Ahab is saying, I want yours, Naboth. Ahab has everything he needs. The palace in Jezreel is actually his second residence. His main palace is in Samaria. And yet he goes to Naboth and he says, give me your vineyard. Now, if you'll notice... Naboth refuses. He says, far be it from me that I should give you, and the Lord forbid, that I should give you the inheritance 
of my father's. Now, the reason that Naboth responds this way is, is for a couple of reasons. First, he's a faithful Israelite who knows the law. There are two laws tucked away at the end of Leviticus and Numbers that say, you shall not sell your inheritance. So Naboth knows the law. He's seeking to be faithful to the God of Israel. But there's another reason. Not only does he know the law, but there must be something about his character. He must have the contentment that Ahab lacks to be able to pass up the offer. Because if you notice, Ahab says, I'll give you money for your vineyard, or I'll even give you a better vineyard. And Naboth refuses. He says, no. One, because he knows the law, but also because he's a righteous man and he's content. And Ahab responds with a big pity party. Jezebel, his wife, comes to him and she says, what's wrong? What are you afraid of? Or what are you upset about? And he explains it. She says, are you kidding me? That's it? Let me take care of this. We've done far worse before. And she goes, and in his name she writes letters to the elders of the, of the town, and they say, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the fast. Now, in those days, you would proclaim a fast when either something terrible has happened to your community or something is about to happen, like an invading army is coming. You'd call a fast and say, somebody goofed, somebody screwed up, and we're going to find out who it is, and they're going to be our scapegoat. That's how it worked. So Jezebel fabricates this scenario, proclaim a fast, make it seem like there's impending calamity, and then choose two false witnesses. And, and the word for worthless men could also be translated sons of Belial, which Belial is a later name for Satan. So sons of the devil stand up and they accuse Naboth of cursing God, which is really ironic and interesting, right? Who of anybody in this story is guilty of cursing God? It's Ahab and Jezebel. In, in part of the story that's not printed in your bulletin, when Elijah is confronting him, he says, Ahab, well, first Ahab says, have you found me, my enemy? And Elijah says, I found you because you have sold yourself to do evil. No one up to this point in the history of, of Israel had done more to lead the people of Israel astray and into evil than Ahab and Jezebel. They cursed God, and yet they've said, Naboth has cursed God. Extremely ironic and completely false. So the leaders of the town follow through with the plan. Naboth completely unjustly is killed, murdered, and his land is taken from him. And we have the question, does God see? Does he care? What does he do? He sends the prophet Elijah to say, I saw what you did. And you will pay for that because I'm a God of justice. Now, again, in part of the story that's not printed here, we see that um, he says to Ahab, you and all of your sons will die because of this and for all the evil that you've done. So I'm not only going to bring this sin back upon you, Ahab, but I'm going to wipe out your entire line. Your dynasty is over because of what you've done. What's interesting is the rest of the story actually happens about 10 chapters later in another book of the Bible in 2 Kings. And when we read the rest of the story, we find out that likely 
Not only did Naboth die, but his sons also were murdered. Because when the man who's sent to bring uh, justice upon Ahab and all his sons, when he does so, he says, now the blood of Naboth and his sons is avenged. And that actually makes sense, because if you go back to the story, if Ahab only killed Naboth, his sons would still have claim on the land. So it's very likely impossible that Ahab killed not only Naboth, but his sons. And so Elijah says to Ahab, you and your sons will die. And we may not like that at first, but that is fair. That is justice. And it answers the question, when, when there is injustice, does God see, does he care, does he do anything about it? And so the story of Naboth, in the end, comes to a satisfying conclusion. Justice is done. But you might be sitting there and thinking to yourself, actually, it's not completely satisfying. Because as I look at the story, in the end, Naboth still dies. Right? Yes, the wrongdoer is punished for his deeds, but Naboth is also dead, so he's not alive to see his vindication. What about Naboth? And what about the countless nameless others in the world throughout the years and the centuries of human history who have suffered unjustly and have not seen justice in their day? What about them? How can this story be satisfying when that is the case? I'm so glad you've asked that question. I'm so glad that you are in turmoil over that. But I'm not going to answer it, okay? No, just kidding. We are. We're going to dive right into it. And here's how we answer that question. By talking about something else that we don't usually talk about. This is a day for talking about things we don't like to talk about. We're going to talk about Judgment Day and the Day of Judgment. Same thing. Why is that important? The Christian teaching about Judgment Day is actually essential to the Christian proclamation of the good news, the message of hope. The day of judgment is necessary for us to be able to also proclaim the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Back to our story. Elijah comes to Ahab at the end of the story, after the evil has been done, and he pronounces judgment. And he basically says, you think you got away with it, but you didn't. And the Lord is going to act. He makes it clear God will respond. In the same way, the Bible teaches very clearly that when Jesus comes back, everything that is now created will be destroyed by fire, and he will create a new heavens and a new earth, and that the hinge between this world now and the world that is to come, the hinge between the two is the day of judgment. And on that day, like Elijah in this story, Jesus will come at the end of the story and reveal the truth about every thought every word and every action, and more importantly, every motive behind those thoughts, words, and actions. He will reveal that for every one of us, every one of you. He will also reveal that for the nations. He will judge the deeds of the nations. No stone will be left unturned. Jesus himself declares in the Gospel of John, Truly I say to you, an hour is coming 
and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And now listen to this part. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Don't be, don't be surprised at this. Don't marvel. For an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So on that day, Naboth will see the justice that he did not see in this life. And all the Naboths who have ever lived and suffered as victims of injustice at any time will on that day see justice. Part of the reason why the Christian teaching of the day of judgment is actually essential to the proclamation of Christian hope. It'll be like a story told by the greatest storyteller of all time. Every detail accounted for. This story will answer the questions. It will solve the riddles. It will bring to light everything that has been hidden on that day. God has an answer for injustice. And he has an answer for the injustice that isn't answered in this lifetime. And that answer is the day of judgment. Every drop of innocent blood will be accounted for. But Jesus says, even more than that, in Matthew 12, he says, and every careless word that is spoken will also be accounted for. We'll have to explain, why did you say that thing? Uh, so this is sobering. That is very humbling. It's sobering, but it's also, well, and because it's sobering, that's, that's part of the reason why Isaiah does say when he's talking about the day of judgment, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And I think we can all agree, right? There's nobody on that day who's going to stand there like this. It will be a day of great humbling for all. But while it's sobering, it will also be satisfying. Because that sense of justice that is innate in us as humans, that will be met. Remember the girls. Goods and the bads. They want to know who are the goods, who are the bads. One time I actually tried telling a story, and just as an experiment, I thought I would give it a bad ending just to see what they did. So the knight is riding out to challenge the dragon, and the dragon completely bites off the head of the knight. And when I said that, they erupted. They screamed and hopped up. I mean, I'm talking like rending their garments. They were upset. They, they were screaming so loud, I couldn't calm them down. It's like, oh, okay, okay. But there was a magic flower, and it brought the knight back to life. And the dragon was also allergic to that flower, so he died. And they're like, yes! That's the kind of story I like. Papa, you know how to tell them. They really could not stand it if, if the good didn't win in the end, and, and if the bads did. So while the idea of a judgment day is sobering, it is satisfying to this innate sense of justice. And we need to remember this because without it, we, we lose hope when we look in the world around us and see man's inhumanity to man all around us. We see the injustice. How do you have courage to walk in a world where there is so much evil? How do you have courage to be a person of hope and to proclaim a message of hope when all of this is happening? 
If Judgment Day were not a real thing that is going to happen at some point in the future, you would have no reason to hope or to give hope to anybody else. So it is essential because it, it reminds us that this story that we're living in is not over yet, and in the end, all will be made right. Justice will come. But I think the real reason that we don't like to talk about Judgment Day and that if we sit with this long enough, what we actually don't like to talk about justice is we realize when we're hearing about Judgment Day, wow, every thought, word, everything I've done being revealed, yikes. And all of a sudden, we don't want justice anymore. What do we want? Mercy. Because we understand that in order for there to be justice, there has to be a punishment. Without punishment, there's no justice. If Ahab had not been punished, the story today would not be a just story. And this is where you insert the cross of Christ. And it is the most unusual, illogical, unique, bold, and hope giving, life-giving teaching in all the religions of the world. Because in the cross of Jesus Christ, that is the only place where all justice is satisfied and mercy is also given. At that one place, justice and mercy meet. And Isaiah 53, an important chapter in, in the scriptures for us to understand what is salvation, what's happening in salvation. So you've heard it before, but I commend it to you. Let this be a fixture in your understanding of your own salvation. Isaiah 53, which says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment that brings us peace was laid on Jesus Christ. So if you go back to our story with Naboth and Ahab, it's really easy to see the ways that Jesus is a lot like Elijah, okay? Jesus is a prophet who comes, he pronounces judgment against injustice, injustice, right? He does that, great. So Jesus is like Elijah, that's really clear. It's also really clear how Jesus is like Naboth, the righteous man, wrongly accused. I mean, does it, do the parallels get any closer than this? Two false witnesses stand up and, and accuse Naboth of blasphemy. That's exactly what happens to Jesus. And just like Naboth, Jesus is taken outside of the city and murdered. And there are so many other parallels that we don't have time to get into. It's clear, Jesus is like Naboth. But here's the crazy twist in the story. Though he's Elijah, though he's Naboth, Jesus comes into the story and he becomes Ahab. And he takes the punishment that he pronounced on Ahab, he takes it on himself. It'd be like if Elijah came and announced his pronouncement and then says, but actually that's not going to happen to you and to your sons. All of that will fall on me, Elijah the prophet. But Elijah doesn't do that because Elijah's not Jesus. Jesus does that. He takes the punishment that falls upon us and that is completely unfair. What happened to Jesus on the cross is injustice. He knows what injustice is because in order to defeat injustice, he suffered injustice. And we like to say around here that by death, he defeated death or death trampling down death. 
you could also say that the cross is injustice trampling down injustice. It's just too many syllables. That's why we don't say it. But it's the same idea that by injustice, him taking on sin that was not his own at the hands of the mob who accused him falsely and dying a death that he did not deserve, he destroys injustice. And here's where Jesus is not only more than Elijah, he's also more than Naboth. He's a lot like Naboth, but with one crucial difference. Do you hear in the story? Jezebel says to Ahab, arise, go take possession, because he is not alive, he is dead. And here's where it's different with Jesus. The angels say, he is not dead, he is alive. And this is where this story has to do with the power of God and where the power of God in the story of Jesus is what is able to defeat injustice. Because it's one thing to name injustice and to say good, bad, right, wrong. But it's another thing to actually have the power to do anything about it. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power to defeat injustice. Praise God is the only power because as nice as it is for us to know if we are victims of injustice or we know those who are victims, it's nice to know that Jesus understands that, that he sits in the prison with us, he feels the cold and the damp, he sees the prison doors, he knows what that's like. But we don't need a God who can sympathize with us only. We also need a God who can rise up, break the chains, and bust out of the prison door, and then signal to us also, follow me. That's really what we need, and that's really what Jesus has done. Without the resurrection, what happened to Jesus is just one more story to add to the catalog of the sad saga of man's inhumanity to man. And his story is no different than Naboth's. It's the resurrection of Jesus that is the power of God to undo and break injustice. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, Naboth will rise too. In the creed, we say we believe in the Lord who will judge the living and the dead. And what do we say right after that? He will come to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So even though Naboth did not see justice in his story, he will see justice at the end, at the day of judgment, and his story is not over. That's the hope that both judgment day, but also the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus, that's the hope that Jesus alone can offer to the world. Now, if you're here today and you are not following Jesus, Either you're, you're unsure if you're a Christian or, or you know, no, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I, I, I want to speak to you very directly right now and say this. There's a very clear way for you to respond today. Believe in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to the one in whom justice and mercy meet. If you don't already know your need for mercy, then let me tell you, you, you need mercy. You've sinned. You've wronged others. And if you acknowledge that to the Lord, I promise you, I, I don't promise you, He promises you, there is no fear of punishment. He has taken all the punishment away. If you come to Him, there is no punishment left for you because He's taken it all away. And instead, what He offers to you is His mercy. Don't refuse that gift because nowhere else are you safe.
Judgment will come to you if you are not in Jesus. The Bible is also really clear about that. So come to Jesus and receive that forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And now for, for those of us who, who are believers, we believe this is true. This is the gospel as, as we've heard it told before. We, we've believed it before. What do we do in response to this message? Well, first we walk with humility, right? We have the day of judgment in our hearts. In our, how often do you think about the day of judgment throughout your week? Probably not too often. Think about it a little more often. As a word is about on your lips, as an action is about to be performed, think, this is going to be shown someday. That's incredibly humbling and sobering. So we walk with humility, but we also walk with hope. Because again, if you are in Jesus Christ, there's no fear of punishment. And I know this sounds hard to understand, and, ex and I really can't explain it, but there's also not even a, a fear of shame. On that day, even when everything that you've done will be clearly portrayed, you won't be ashamed because Jesus will be holding you tight, you'll be safe in his arms. So not only do you walk in humility, you also walk in hope. But it then also gives us the freedom to, to stand up for what is right. Young men, maybe still in high school, you, I, I know the locker room environment. And what if you, next time you're in there, hearing your teammates talk about some girl that they're planning to take advantage of the following weekend, or some girl that they had just taken advantage of the previous weekend, what if you went up to them and said, no, you're not going to do that? Or if you really did that, that's despicable. That's wrong. What if you were to say that? Yeah, you might be mocked, you might be reviled, or you might be respected. They might listen to you. Either way, what if you started doing that? What if we all looked for ways to stand up against injustice? My father-in-law, George, was in business for 30 years, and he has several stories of bosses coming to him and saying, I want you to tell the customer this, and he just said, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to tell the customer something that's not true. I'm sorry, I don't feel comfortable with that. And he said, sometimes his bosses would be exasperated with him, but eventually they, they would go along with it. So in what ways are you going to be positioned to be able to stand up and say, no, we're not going to do that. No, you're not going to do that. Because if you go back to the story, you might think, ah, but I, I can't be Elijah. Ha, I'm not this prophet from God. Well, guess what? You don't have to be Elijah. That's Jesus. He's going to be the Elijah who comes in at the end and settles everything. But there were others in this story. There were elders of the town, and there were townspeople. And all they had to do, it would have only taken one person to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. Naboth is a righteous man. He's never cursed God. And these two guys who are saying that he did, those are liars. I feel like everybody else is taking crazy pills here this morning. Don't we know these people? This is wrong. It would have taken one voice to stand up and say, we're not going to do this. And yet clearly, no one did. So where can you stand up and say, no, we're not going to do this, or this is not going to happen? Don't be afraid of the anger of Jezebel and of Ahab, because you're Christians. You have nothing to fear. And even if you're so much as killed for standing up for what is right, there is a day of judgment. You will be vindicated, and you will live in the life of the world to come forever. You have nothing to fear. 
And if you're worried, ah, but I can't confront others when, when there's a lot of Ahab in me, if I'm honest. Well, that's why we confess every week. That's why we acknowledge our sin, because I tell you what, you are not a hypocrite. If you confront others, if you're also allowing regularly the Holy Spirit to confront you, you're not a hypocrite, you're actually being consistent. So have the courage to stand up and to say, we're not going to do this. That's not going to happen. Uh, just before the service, between the services, I was talking with a young man who came up to me and said, I want to tell you about something that happened last week. And I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit sent him to me because here's the story. So I was, was in our home, our apartment building, and we heard some noises up above. sounded like people fighting. I went out and I met another lady on the landing and she said, are they okay up there? They're fighting and things are being thrown and we don't know if, if there's violence being done against anybody. So he, he went up and he knocked on the door and they, they opened the door and they, they were still kind of tussling about it. and she was trying to push him out. She was saying, get him out of here, get him out of here. And our friend, our, our brother, who's in this room right now said, I think you need to leave, sir. And this guy was trying to get him on his side. But yeah, but she was, he said, no, she, she, she's asking you to leave. I, I think you need to leave. I need to get my stuff. You know, what, right, right now, what you need to do is you just need to leave. And he stood up. And, and I said, how did that feel? He said, God gave me courage, and I felt like I was doing what I was made to do. Awesome. May God give us that opportunity May God give us many opportunities to stand up, to speak for what is just, and to also be messengers of mercy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.